0: We're feeling great. It's going to be a great morning. Um, and I'm excited to announce that we
1: have a very special guest with us. Um, he and his wife lead a church down the street called Genesis Church, and he's a great friend of our community as well. So, can we please give a warm welcome to Mr. Pastor Chris Fienan? Just Chris. He's going by just Chris this morning. So, everyone how are you i mean like really how are you yeah. you know my kids always said good and i said that's not an answer
0: because <laughs> it isn't it's
1: good me it's nice me
0: now, i'm asking
1: because i wrestled in prayer from about one o'clock to three o'clock this morning for you so that means i like my sleep it's not my happy hour but that means some of you are in the trenches fighting and maybe that's why i'm here maybe we have to help you and uh, i have a great and very fond connection with canopy do i not mrs proctor Uh, Merrill and i helped well more we were part of it their kindness than anything else when uh, canopy was still meeting in the port streets and then josh and i first met when he was the techie at rock harbor and i had an office there for two years wasn't on staff but just helped bits and pieces and so there's great history and great connectivity and i'm deeply honored that um i was invited to come and hang with you guys i'm not much of a titles guy so jesus calls me chris my mother calls me chris Meryl sometimes calls me jerk so anything goes you know what i'm saying <laughs> Anything goes. Uh, it really is an honor and a joy and a privilege to be here with you. Um, I do want to take us to a story in the scriptures. And uh, I'm not a great one-off preacher. So if it sucks, just be so happy Josh is back next week. Just be like, thank God that South Africa isn't back here. It started in 2007. Um, I was at the movement I was part of before, the Global Church Money Movement. Uh, We were in Canada and uh, one of the prophets called me out. And and, you know, it's kind of cool when they do that. You're expecting you're going to be rich and famous and, uh, you know, all that stuff. And it was not one of those words. I'm going to read it to you in just a moment. Because I think it's going to help some of you understand what you're going through. Oh, my wife's in Greece. Don't you just hate her for that? (laughs) Uh, Her nephew, South African, married an American girl from South Carolina. And they thought, well, the midway point to meet is Greece for the wedding. So that's where she is, I'm really sad to tell you. Josh's mom came across, hi, is Meryl here? That's kind of the normal thing when I go to church. hi, Chris, is Meryl here? And I said, no, sadly, it's just me. I'm kind of soloing today. But uh, she would be if she's here. We do life and ministry together. I have in May next year, we've been doing ministry for 40 years and we've been married for 42. If we can make it, so can you. All right. So here's the deal. Kevin, Ken called me up and he said to me, I've got a prophetic word for you. And uh, this is going to be a fun morning. And um, so I said, great, Ken. He said, take off your belt. And i actually think i had this this is one of my favorite belts It's super old i probably shouldn't be wearing it and he said i want you to stand with your arms by your side and i did that and then he wrapped the belt around me and he said i want you to lean forward which i did in this position And then he let one side go and i kind of flew forward obviously and he said to me chris the next chapter of your life will be fashioned around the life of joseph so, and I'm trying to think if that's a good thing or not. You know, it's kind of one of those pregnant pause moments, dramatic silence. And then he read this. And if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Psalm 105. And it's verse 16. I'm reading from the new Bible. I've got the Christian Standard Bible. So if it's slightly different to yours, that's okay. Speaking of God, it said, He called down famine against the land. God called famine and He destroyed the entire food supply. He sent a man ahead of Him. He sent a man ahead of Him. How many of you are prophetically wired? Or there is a sense in your heart that God uses you prophetically. And that normally means that He is sending you ahead. So please don't be surprised if you experience something first. Not just by intuition, discernment or sensing, but by actual life circumstance because God's looking for men and women who are happy to be a model for Him. That He can point others to. As we do in the text, as we do in our lives, God looks for people to say, would you be prepared to do this? I was chatting with Kendall, wherever she is, and I said, how's the wedding the marriage? And of course, the immediate answer is great. And I'm like, Kendall, I've known you a long time. I want an answer. And I said, Meryl and I are completely irreconcilably different. Outside of Jesus and our kids, we have nothing in common. We were in Tahoe. I was happy to be in the spa. She was happy to be in the cold water. Who swims in cold water? I mean, I ask you with tears in my eyes, you know.
0: Um,
1: and uh, but, but who is the one that is prepared to put their hand over and say, Oh God, I don't know what it means. I don't know what we'll go through. But, but it's okay if you send me Ahead of them Joseph was sold as a slave this is not looking good they heard his feet with uh, shackles and his neck was put into an iron collar in other words they they tied his message uh, feet invariably the scripture speaks how lovely of the feet of him who brings good news so so they tied his feet up to prevent him bringing the, the message and then they put shackles around his neck and the neck normally speaks of authority so they wanted to quell his authority and silence his message it is not looking good until the time is prediction that comes through until the time until the time you and I will go through these chapters in our life until the time you can delay it but you can't speed it up you can enforce God to use you for longer in a circumstance because of your reluctance and your wrestle and your resistance until the time his prediction came through and the word of the lord tested him and the king sent for him pharaoh sent for him and released him and the ruler of his people set him free he pharaoh made him master of his household ruler of all his possessions binding his officials at will and instructing his elders i will refer back to that now in the summer of this year, we've uh, we do we lead a delightful community here in town. It's called Genesis, and uh, I planted five years ago, which is not dissimilar to you. Uh, let me just find my notes, and we will be in business. I was curious because we got a church of overwhelmingly twenty-somethings. There's Marilyn and I in our sixties? We've got two couples in their fifties, and everyone else is younger than thirty-four. but but i looked at the story and i thought lord what is it that you are essentially doing with all of us and the first thing that came to mind and this is free no extra charge is the transition from the shadow self the false self to the true self the shadow self invariably is that part of us which is hidden your sin, your story i hope no one ever finds out this about me i went to college at 17. Ended up in hospital when a wine bottle hit me in a fight. And so what I do is that I bring that out into the open so that I'm not awkward. I'm not living under the instruction and the discipline of my shadow self. I acknowledge my sin. My my false self, please hear me, is the self I create based on the circumstance I face. So if you were here for the first time this morning, you probably were quite troubled to know... What self should you put forward? Is this a religious community? Because then I better amen. Lift my hand at the right time. How do I dress? Can I come with a short top? And can, I, can I wear sandals? My book can stop.
0: <laughs>
1: but how must I present myself? Because what you learn to do is to have a home self, a school self, a sports self, a college self, a I'm available to date self. Then the married self. how do you want me to act? See, I'm creating all these false self narratives in order to survive the world I live in. The only problem is there's no grace. Forgive my passion, but I'm a passionate preacher. There is no grace of God to sustain your false selves. There's none. And so God systematically peels them off us so that the true self can emerge. It's as Richard Ross says, the essential self that God made you to be. There is such sadness and exhaustion trying to live with our false selves. And that's what the gospel offers us. I love Paul's writings where he says, I am who I am by the grace of God. It's discovering the beauty and wonder and mystery of my true self. Or, as he says in Romans chapter 8, a wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of sin? The thing I want to do, I don't do. The thing I don't want to do, I do. Oh, help me, God. It's his true self. He's wrestling his way around his own wretchedness. Talking about Joseph. I'm going to go through seven garment changes with you. This is not interesting. It's about the only person in the Bible where his dress code, his sense of fashion, is spoken of only, I mean, over and over and over again. And the first we find him is that he's his daddy's boy. In Genesis 37, we find the story written of his pups completely spoiling him. And the sense of family of origin creates a false self. What must I be like to get my pops approval? But my pops on the other hand is very busy, in this case, doing one of a few things. Fathers generally fall into one of these categories, absent. When I was in Singapore many years ago, there was an article article in the Singapore Times and the headline was McDonald Fathers. Because they work such long hours in Asia that the dads have no time with the kids. So on a Saturday morning, mom gets some alone time, dad takes the kid to McDonald's because it's got a huge big play area, and they say the dads sit there on their phones. Absent dads. Present, but not really. The message they shouted categorically and clearly is that I've got people, sir, a uh, way more important kiddo than you are. I cannot leave a phone call untouched. We have a rule in our house. At dinner time, all the phones, all the TVs, all the iPads are off. Absent dads, abusive dads. My pops was an alcoholic. I know about that. Ambitious dads who want you to achieve more than you maybe can or even want to achieve. The approval dads. My son played for a really good soccer team when he was all white. Uh, up in Braya. We led a church up there. And win, uh, uh, win, 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 win. And about the 7th or 8th of the season, they played so badly and lost. And I was astounded. All the parents on the sideline would say, Well played. Good job. That's BS. They played really badly, and they lost. So how can I say, well, played? how can I lie to my kid? Because one day he encounters God, who is all God, who is all truth. And God said, that sucked. And he gets wounded. He gets wounded. but, But my dad always said, I always did well. No, you did not. So what we did at the end of every game is he and I would go and have a burger. And we were green, yellow, red at the moment. Boy, what did you think you played wonderfully at? Well, Dad, I thought I was, he's got a great soccer IQ and he's positioned himself well, but he got lazy and then he would hide. So we did the great, deal. I like that pass down the wing, broke great cross in, gave the striker surgery, but then he disappeared for 15 minutes, yellow. That's not good. And that particular day, he climbed into the car with his eyes to big. I said, we'll talk when we have our burger. And he sat down, I said, boy, how did you feel you played? He didn't, know what, he didn't know what to say. I should have brought him along today. He's 33. And, and I said, you know you sucked.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> See, I, I
1: do him no service by doing the Orange County thing of applauding, poor behavior, poor performance, pure action, impure action. Are you with me? And so fathers, here's the daddy's boy and he's ambivalent addicts and I can add a whole bunch of things. But what... His father did, Joseph's father did, was he did him an incredible disservice by treating him different from the other boys. Now, I'm not saying we've got to treat all our kids the same. That's the worst kind of parenting. Beryl's folks were like that. They prided themselves. Three girls, we treated them all the same. I stopped him and I said, Ken, do you know that's really bad parenting? We're already married. He said, what do you mean, Chris? I said, tell me about Tracy, Meryl's older sister. I said, tell me about Meryl. Tell me about Jen. Now, are they the same? So, you
0: know, you can't treat all of the kids the same. That's great secular psychology, it's
1: very poor biblical practice god does not treat us all the same don't you hate that guy who's six foot four tall surfer build long hair when he walks in all the girls start drooling don't tell me god treats us all the same i'm five foot ten and shrinking i've got a big butt and a wobbly belly we don't all get treated the same but this is excessive this is the exceptional where the father's spoiling of his boy actually did him no good whatsoever number two the color many colors had to be removed we just don't know when and we just don't know can i just say this folks please don't spoil your kids i have a friend who's super wealthy and we had a meal together the other day and he said to me you know i spoiled my daughter i said yes you have he said, I've traveled so much he was a global executive with a global uh, corporation. And he said, I've traveled so much that when I came home, the only thing I can do is give my kids stuff. 16 brand new car, anything you want. Love you. I said, Do you know the disservice you're making, giving your husband? Because probably he's not going to be as rich as you. You cannot replace love with goods. Cut him any colors? Spoiled boy? He's in for one and a half decades of hell. You did not set him up well. Number two, sibling rivalry. Well, we obviously understand that the sibling thing is a big thing. So here's the problem. You may have a sibling who from the eyes of your parents were perfect they were the overachiever and you were perpetually compared with them and you never matched up. Aren't you delighted for the gospel that God compares you to no one but you? No one better than you? There's no one worse than you? There's just you. I am who I am by the grace of God. Or perspective. You're always silenced. Because your perspective is invalid. Oh, don't worry, don't worry. No, 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 you've got nothing to say. Or if you think what we would think, then it's okay. Intimidated into silence or prejudice, your choices are always seen as wrong. Perfection, perspectives, and prejudice. Our siblings can enslave us. I'm saying that partly because it did happen to Joseph. You know the story. His brothers took the coat of many colors off him, swirled it in blood, took it back to the pots, and gave him the very light garments of slavery. Why am I telling you this? Because it's in the story. Why am I telling you this? Because God wants to liberate you from the robes your siblings put on you. That's the gospel. Without angst, without judgment, without anger, resentment, or bitterness, with the sweet beauty and wonder of God giving me a new me. You're not as pretty as your sister. You're not as gifted as your brother. You're not as smart as your sister. Even though we come to faith, even though we love Jesus, If we don't allow the Spirit of God to deal with us, it will forever shadow you. You, and this isn't one of those kind of psychological rah-rah sessions, folks. This is my understanding of the text. I was never, how can I say this? My father was a perfectionist, he was an alcoholic and a very practical man, had his own construction company. I'm not a perfectionist, I'm a romantic. And the only cut i ever had on my hand is a paper cut <laughs> you know what i mean i was not like my pops at all and i lived under the shadow of my brother below me and my sister above me always gave my father's approval my sister's just like my brother my, my dad stubborn as the day and my brother could fix anything and there's me i'm a reader i'm a writer i'm a man of words There is a place of freedom where god takes the garment of displeasure i know exactly when it happened with my dad exactly where i was the day god set me free he said to me as a young preacher he said chris you cannot have two fathers a long story i won't bore you with it now to sit with my dad he wasn't saved germanic blue eyes blonde hair tough man and I had to take him to lunch and say, he's not a believer. And I said, "Boss, God says I can only have one father and right now I have two. So I've made a choice. He's my father. One tear rolled down his cheek, he said, well, can we be friends? And I said, okay. And that day God liberated me. Wow. From living under the shadow of never quite being good enough, my sister and my brother were more good enough in my father's eyes. Number three, not just spoiled by his pops, not just sibling rivalry and jealousy. Are you tracking with me here? I mean, is there anything in here that's beginning to resonate with your wrestles and struggles? Why? Because God loves you enough to fight for your true self. God loves you enough to let that, Whatever course of action needs to happen until the full you begins to emerge. Not a cookie-cutting form of someone else. Not living under the shadow of someone else's displeasure. I work with church planters. I meet with them every single day of my life. And the number one groan is the wife. Because she doesn't know who she is. She doesn't know who she's supposed to be. And she doesn't know if there are friends that she can trust. Number three. We all know the story from Genesis 39 of Potiphar, a high fancy guy in Pharaoh's bureaucracy, high as Joseph. Now it says of Joseph that he was well built and handsome. He was a stud. (laughs) That olivey skin, wavy dark hair, smooth hands. I mean, he's screamed now to work his master's spot. His wife, Potiphar's wife, finds it curiously good-looking. And the garment exchange we have here is this moment when Joseph runs from her and leaves his jacket behind. Now, what is the essence of this conversation? Can I read Carl Truman? He says in his book Strange New World, in biblical times of ancient Greece, sex was regarded as something that human beings did Today, it is considered to be something vital to whom human beings are. You and I know in a postmodern millennial world, one of the battle cries is be true to yourself. That, is that true? Be true to you. Don't let anyone else tell you. You be true to you. So, if Joseph was true to himself, what should he, uh, he have done in that moment? Slept with him he's a slave the rich auntie is making a move on him dripping with jewels this is his moment he's going to be a stud amongst the other slaves I am sure and I am reading into the text forgive me he's probably not had a lot of sex for a good while if ever Joseph be true to yourself and sleep with her or be true to your Creator and run Not only is there very poor philosophical energy driving the be true to yourself rhythm, but there is a higher call that we are to develop our sexual identity, all of you young single people, before that happens. Before that happens. It's too late when she is coming onto you or he onto you and if, if it is the girl, I mean the, the buttons are down and the perfume is rich and the shirt the skirt is short, it's too late then to try to decide what your sexual identity is then. I said to my boy the other day, he's single, my girls are married. I said, Boy, how are you doing? He said, Dad, it's not easy. He said, I've literally had girls phone me and say, Do I come around for sex? I don't want a relationship. I just need sex tonight. And I said, boy, how did you handle that? He said, that I have a high dream that I get married as a virgin. You see, he settled the sexual identity before the girls come calling. I'm not bagging on them. Please hear me. I'm telling you his story. How true to himself, he's 23. You think he doesn't want to get to bed with a pretty Point Loma girl? Hell <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Everything inside of him. But we, of course, in this business, I would if I was his there. <laughs> but everything inside of him is settling his sexual identity beforehand. So when those, you see, girls have literally come to me at a party. He said, Can we make out right now? And I'm talking kissing. You settle your sexual identity before it happens. The quest is not to be true to yourself. The quest is to be true to your Creator. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You young ladies, it may be too late. I, I just think there is such purity and wonder and mystery about a virgin. Both ways. And I think God gifted that to us so that when we get married and we give it. Meryl was 18, I was 22. I thought I knew everything about sex until honeymoon. I was clueless. Or what do I do now? I mean, because like, we're both virgins. We've never done this before. First night of been sucked. I was completely useless. My poor wife, I think she must have thought, dang, it, this is it, suck it up, sister, because it ain't getting better, you know? was like, this is the best you've got right now? Is this the best you've got? But there's a beauty and a wonder and a mystery as we stop stutter and stumble our way forward until we make love with such beauty and wonder and intimacy that God comes by His presence and that's a sacred moment, not a sensual moment. A friend of mine spoke. We've been friends for, we were in the army together, so probably 38 years or something. They were their wedding. On Sunday night we were landing, he's a very prophetic man. I don't think our congregation knew what to do with him. God was in the house and as he was coming into the land he spoke of him and Kati who were sitting there and making love. And he said you know when we make love the presence of God comes into the room and he says "Oftentimes, we just sit there afterwards weeping, It's sheer wonder and gratitude that God has given us purity in an age of defiled sexuality. God can change your coat and put another robe on you beautiful robe where, where marriage is not boring religious repetition They're all speaking at a woman's event some years ago and she spoke about that time where everything's right and the lights are low and the music's playing and the, there's, there's flowers but she said sometimes you just got to have a quickie like an in and out and of course the place fell apart you know <laughs> yeah, sometimes we just leave an in and out okay are you with me (laughs) let god transform your position and posture and thinking around the area of sexual identity some of you girls i'm going to say this with kind of closed eyes who are beautiful i can't imagine how hard it is for you to to, uh, to see yourself through his eyes your heavenly father's eyes because the only thing you ever be in is the object of man's curiosity, or us looking above you. But you see, the beauty of the Joseph story is that God takes off of him the picture that Potiphar's wife had of him. Come on, I need that. Give me that cloak. This is not the one I want you to have. Next, number four. How am I doing, time wise? I don't know what time I'm supposed to finish. Well just be relieved, I'm preaching again at four at our community, so we'll have dinner together. Right? <laughs> Number four is false accusation. Let, let God minister to you folks. There is such sexual bombardment out there. I'm starting off this evening talking about pornography. Almost every young man and many a young woman in our church struggles with pornography. It is such can I be crass? Basket. It is a bastard. It has put our people under so much bondage. And don't you love the message of the gospel where God refreshes our sexual lenses and He gives us fresh insights. We don't feel like we have to remove the stain of sensuality as if it comes from other, somewhere else. But it actually comes from the throne of grace and the sheer wonder and delight of an intimate God wanting us to be intimate with each other. It's a beautiful thing. All right, I'm going to run through the others. False accusation. It's a very difficult road to release. Can I just encourage you and say, we will all be accused of something that's completely untrue. Everyone. But whether we are guilty or not makes no difference Because we want to scream and shout our bitterness, our anger, our resentment, and unfortunately, the way to deal with false accusation is silence. Jesus, like a lamb led to the slaughter, was silent. Are you the king of the Jews? Read it this morning. You mind about? Are you the king of the Jews? He uttered not a word. You know, those of you who are going through this right now, maybe in business, maybe in marriage. Maybe in relationships, I don't know. But false accusation is one of the toughest things in we and you and I will one hundred percent. I have to fight two lawsuits in the last church we led. I prayed, I'm embarrassed to say God killed it. Oh. Because the two people who led the lawsuits were friends who had been in my home, who travelled the nations with me, whose hearts turned, and it wasn't true. Part of the accusation was something that happened in the church before we got there. And I had to learn this false accusation. Shh. Shh. Business came to me and said, let us do it. We'll count to soon. I looked at them with love in my heart. Thank you for wanting to protect me. But my Bible says we don't sue each other. I said, you giving them a free ride. I said, I'm uh, They can do whatever they want. But I want to be like a lamb led to the Alright, number five. Are you still with me? Yeah.
0: Can I gather through the last
1: couple quickly? Yes. The dark night of the soul. The dark night of the soul. St. John of the Cross, and I think the 13th century, gave language to a very, very dark time in all of our lives. And can I just say, listen, in, in, a, in a gospel world, where happiness is one of the objectives. Come to Jesus and you'll be happy. Not true. You'll be very sad. But you'll discover joy and percolate itself out through the darkness of the loam in which you are seated. Come to Jesus and you'll live your dreams. Not true. Come to Jesus and die to your dreams and discover the dreams that last for eternity. That what we do down here has eternal significance. I sat with another friend and he's made millions of money and he just said to me, Chris, I've achieved nothing. And I said, well, we've got 20 years together. Let's make it count. Let's make it count. See what God can do with a surrendered life who's not preoccupied with money. He doesn't have to, I think they've got whatever. The dark night of the soul is a time where God brutally tucks us away. In the darkest places i'm an optimist i'm an enthusiast i'll be very subdued today i promise you i want to do my best behavior for josh But i'm a seven on the enneagram throw in an eight on occasion i am danger <laughs> but the dark night of the soul is where god takes his places irrespective of our personality and one of the little verses that tickled me about this portion was this after the baker and the butler and the baker um it says this and joseph was in prison two more years why i mean that super sucks you know what i mean and, and i wondered if it wasn't because he was looking for the butter or the bacon to be his messiah get me out of here if you can then it was looking looking to the to the prison warden get me here if you get me out of here always looking to himself I'm going to try and find a way to get out of this. Folks, the dark night of the soul is not contingent on your wisdom to negotiate a way out of the mess. It only comes when the untold happens. When God plucks you out. There's no shortcut, there's no short time. It's simply a dark place where God. Has taken the outer garment off. The color of many colors. He's taken garment after garment after garment off. And the only thing left is for God to create in Joseph a deep, humble trust in who he really is. Much more to say about that. Let me go to number six. There is a curious little verse in Genesis 41. It says, he shaved... Changed his clothes and went to Pharaoh. I'm like, "Oh, why? We've got such a small Bible anyway. Why does one whole verse go to be shaved? I'm like, who cares? He changed his clothes, which we hope. And he went to Pharaoh. i tell you what it was. Is there was a humility that was starting to leak out of Joseph. His father spoiled him, I'm the man. Hey, all of you guys, you bow down before me. I'm strutting, I'm leading, I'm styling. You going down. But this time, Pharaoh says to him, I-, I believe you prophesy accurately. I'm translating, it, and he says, "No, oh, sir, it's not I. I think all of heaven was leaning out over the balustrade, looking to see what will he say. Yeah, I'm actually a prophet. You've heard about me? Yeah. Yeah, I, I rock, man. I rock. I got the whole Butler Baker thing. I got that down intact. Do you need me? I can prophesy. If I succeed, I can become the king's prophet. I'm going to be styling. That's not his response. He puts a new garment on him, and it's a garment of humility. So sir, it's not I, but the Lord who speaks mysteries. Are you with me? Is that what God's waiting for in your life and mine that moment of deep pure humility and say oh God it's not me it's not me I'm not fighting for me it's you everything I have is yours in theological terms it's the providential theology when you suddenly feel like, oh my gosh, God's working all of this to the good. I didn't join that to that, I didn't join that person to that person, that event to that, and suddenly you mystify as the great slideshow of him plays, and God takes you, puts his arm around you, and you say, how no, do you understand? Do you understand why you have to go through that? Do you understand why that relationship was broken? Isn't it interesting, I'm landing? <laughs> Isn't it interesting that, um, Joseph gave his brothers clothes. When he tucked away their money and their provisions, he put a garment set, an outfit, a Nordstrom or Calvin Klein or something, (laughs) a suit. And he's just gonna tuck it in there. Because he had learned how God had stripped him of every unnecessary robe until the only robe that counted was humility. Because it is not I, sir, it is the Lord who speaks mysteriously. That to be number seven, is the Ludstrom moment. Now, you may wonder why I use that, because he dressed him in robes of fine linen. We moved here 26, uh, 26 years ago, 1996. And the first Christmas we were here, um, we used to two very big families, big Christmas bashes in South Africa. summer, so pool, watermelon, barbecuing, just massive amounts of everything. Now, it's the first year, we know no one, we're leading a very broken church up and North County and uh, and I are <laughs> nuts. I think we bought each kid like 30 gifts. We just the, the, in our house in Diamond Bar. There was just, I mean, literally layers of gifts. And we looked at each other and said, "We kind of think we're overplayed it a little bit."
0: <laughs> but the
1: part of the the, the, the gift giving that is forever stuck in Vienna pathology was when the girls <laughs> opened up. And it was pajamas. They were ten and eight, respectively. And you could see the kind of look of disappointment on their on their faces, you know, like, really? PJs for Christmas? Yeah. And Meryl got into her enthusiast adventurer mode and she said, girls, this is from Nordstrom, you know? This is not old navy, this is not Gap. This is from Nordstrom. So it's a standard Vienna joke now that whenever we want to make much of a dressing moment, the comment was. It's from Nordstrom, and we all know what it refers to. This is a Nordstrom moment. He dressed him in robes of fine linen. (laughs) Folks, there comes that moment, and this is where I'm landing. There comes that moment where God looks at you with deep affection, I suspect, with a tender eye full of tears, as He has watched you wrestle your way through each one of those de-robe moments, and ultimately, He puts His robe of humility on you, and He smiles, and he says now do you understand now do you understand that's what I had in mind all the time remember that prophetic word 13 years ago now do you understand it's taken me 13 years to render you this our Christian walk is not a hyperbole of ever increased profile ability and wealth sometimes it is a very dark valley because it is in the valley Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for Thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. If you are looking for a happy Christian journey, you will not be around long. But if you embrace the darkness and let joy emerge out of the pain, trauma and tremor of your pain, of your heartache, of God de-robing you and letting the true self emerge, you will have this moment. Do you are your heads with me please? Would you open your hands what? on your lap? It's a thought-proctor to thing. He's it all over the world now, but I do give Todd the glory. <laughs> what a room for a beautiful ring in a What an occasion, Lord, when you, in the mystery of heaven, bring me here this morning. I can only assume with my prayer during the night, I can only assume it's because you want Precious sons and daughters to understand. Now I understand. Now my tears make sense. Now my pain and disappointment and heartache and brokenness make sense. And I will go through it until, until Pharaoh beckons for me. No shortcut, no bypass. You love us too much allow us to remain robed in yesteryear's garments we're going to wrap each one of our shoulders the garment of humility no sir it is not i it is the lord peddle and caden are going to sing over us rather than stand just for the moment i don't know what protocol is here for you. I want them to sing over you. I want the Spirit of God to meet with you. Wipe away your tears. Bring clarity to your confusion. kids don't have to suffer any hardship or obstacles. The only problem is, God loves you too much to remove them. And I think the times God is most at pain is when we blame Him for things that we think He should have done. But He's got a far more beautiful picture for you. Beautiful you. Holy, you liberated you, filled you. In moments like this, I was just looking at Kendall as she sang, and I thought there's a there's a there's a sweet fatherly invitation to come and be with him, heed him. Now we're going to land At what time do you normally finish? Do you have left already? Has it gone by, guys? I'm going to ask all of us to stand. And those who want to, my invite is for you to come and to kneel in the front. Now, it's a hard thing for a 64-year-old because I can't kneel. But I think sometimes there is the robe of humility that he wants to wrap us with means that we sometimes need to humble ourselves and say, Lord, I just didn't understand. I just didn't know what you were doing. I was so angry at you. But, but I think I understand now. Can you take us from the top on that same song? I'm going to ask you to stand together. And those of you who want to, just as an outward statement of surrender and acceptance, to come and kneel up here with me. So, oh God, would you come? meet with me and encounter